Friends, will you pray with me? Lord, just as we have looked to you in worship, we've asked for you to pour out your Spirit. We pray that your Spirit will also guide us in understanding, in accepting, embracing, and applying your Word in our lives. And so, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be open, pleasing, acceptable to you, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Now, how many of you know this game, Twister? I think new, younger people maybe haven't played, but those slightly older ones. How many of you have played before? Not recently, but like last time, long, long time ago. <laughs> okay, okay, quite popular. Um, for those of you who may not be so familiar with it, uh, it's basically a game where you have to, uh, you have this mat with different, different colored circles. You have two hands, two feet. I mean, if you have two hands and two feet, uh, then you, you spin this thingy that will tell you, okay, left hand, right hand, go where? Okay, which color? And then you have to try and like uh, find an unoccupied, Circle, coloured circle, okay, and then touch it and, and keep, keep your hand or your foot there. Uh, and so I've not played this game much. <laughs> I, I did when I was much younger and I remember uh, getting all twisted up. I mean, that is the point of the game. Lah. No, nobody really wins anything. It's just to, to get into funny positions and laugh at each other, right? Uh, and so I was, I, I remember being stretched in a, a certain way that was very uh, difficult to hold and difficult to maintain balance. And all I had to do was make one small move in the wrong direction and I will fall down and lose the game, right? And so this, you, when, when you play Twister, that's often the sort of uh, precarious position that you are in that just one slight move and you fall down already, okay? And so, David was in a similar sort of position after the death of Absalom. Uh, he was in a very precarious position. Why do I say this? Well, remember that Absalom had declared himself king in Hebron, where David first became king in Hebron, okay? And Hebron is the capital city of Judah at that point. And so, Absalom had also rallied the northern tribes of Israel together to pursue David and his supporters. And this consisted of uh, Israelites of all kinds of tribes and, and even uh, surrounding nations, some of them followed David. And so, what followed was a civil war of all kinds of people, okay? Basically, a really bad family squabble, uh, on a national scale, okay? You have uh, cousins, brothers, you know, fighting each other and all that. And so, David was in a precarious position once the war ended. If he pronounced judgment on those who had followed Absalom against him, that would have fragmented the kingdom. It would have possibly stirred up another rebellion. Somebody else would lead an army against David. But... David was also in danger of angering his loyal supporters if he was too ready and quick to forgive. And that's something that 
Joab warned him about, as we saw last week. But now that Absalom had died and David was king again, the Israelites started to argue. Again, they started to argue with each other about who would escort the king back to Jerusalem, who would bring him back. Now, this triumphant return of sorts uh, would be sort of like he'll, he'll be accompanied by a whole entourage of people, like a whole caravan, uh, this procession back, okay? And so those who went, rallied to his side to bring him across or to accompany him uh, back to Jerusalem, that would have been a show of loyalty to him uh, and would have probably given them a higher chance of being in an honoured position over those who weren't there. But just like how in Twister you have to choose uh, one of the remaining circles and commit to it and put your weight there, put the, your, your weight on your hand or your foot there, David also chose, he committed to prioritise the loyalty of his own tribe of Judah. And so, he, he sent a message to the elders of Judah and he said, okay, uh, you guys should come. Judah should come and bring me back. Okay, and so on top of this, David replaces Joab, the, uh, the commander of his army, with Amasa. Amasa is the commander of Absalom's army and he was also his, David's own nephew. Uh, so David, remember, Joab is the one responsible for the death of Absalom, so this is sort of like David's way of uh, replacing Joab as a result. And so this shows that David was willing to forgive all who had sided with Absalom against him, and at the same time, he also won over uh, the, the support of all from the tribe of Judah on top of his existing supporters. So this is how he, he navigated his way through his precarious position. And so David is successfully gaining support. He's gaining the support of his people once again. But there will soon be another rebellion by an Israelite uh, from the tribe of Benjamin and this, this Israelite named Sheba would stir up a rebellion against the tribe of Judah, which was now totally on David's side. Okay, but that's a, 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 another episode. Before that, I want us to zoom in on this period of transit, okay, this in-between uh, on, on David's journey back to Jerusalem because a few notable things take place. And what we'll see in today's message, takeaway, is that we are called to show the mercy and forgiveness God has shown us through Christ. Okay, so one thing to remember uh, in today's message, we are called to show the mercy and forgiveness God has shown us through Christ. Now today we are focusing on the continuation of two episodes that we didn't go into uh, depth in previous weeks. It actually happened earlier in chapter 16. Today's passage is in chapter 19. It, back then, as David was fleeing Jerusalem after Absalom had declared himself king of Israel, David encounters two people in 2 Samuel chapter 16, uh, at separate occasions. And from these two men, we can learn three things. Firstly, that mercy and forgiveness is not earned. Secondly, that justice belongs to the judge. And thirdly, that the forgiven 
forgive. Now, if you've been following along uh, these past few weeks with our series on 2 Samuel, you will notice that there are recurring themes here. Unearned mercy and justice, for example. And I was preparing this message as all these things started to come together. I was asking God, huh, <laughs> again, uh, <laughs> these themes again, just one week later, you know, we, we, we looked at something quite similar already. But I have come to learn that many times uh, God repeats the same thing to me in a slightly different way because I didn't get it the first time. It didn't go in or I wasn't listening. Uh, or, or because I needed Him to repeat it over that period, over that season, whether for the sake of comfort or encouragement or warning or confirmation. And so I'm not going to stand in His way. He wants to say the same thing, then fine. Uh, and it's my prayer that you won't close your mind or your heart to uh, what God has to say just because it sounds familiar to you and I uh, heard before already, okay? Now let's look at the first lesson for today, that mercy and forgiveness is not earned. As David was fleeing Absalom, he meets a man named Ziba. This Ziba is the servant of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. If you remember Jonathan, Jonathan is the son of King Saul, uh, David's very, very, very close friend, his BFF, his hengtai, his, his blood brother. Okay, and so David had been kind to Mephibosheth after he took over the throne because of his loyalty to Jonathan. And uh, David gave Mephibosheth a place to eat at the king's table. So when you can eat at the king's table, it's like an honoured position. It also means that you are provided for, for life. Okay? And so while David is fleeing Absalom without much supplies because he, he has to very, very quickly just go, okay? he didn't have time to prepare his journey, backpacks and all that, uh, Ziba meets him along the way and he is waiting with supplies. Okay, what David needs. Supplies for David and his followers. Donkeys, la, uh, loaves of bread, cakes of raisins, cakes of figs, food and drink. Okay, supplies. And Ziba tells David that the reason why he has come alone without Mephibosheth is because Mephibosheth has betrayed David and he was uh, hoping that, okay, now that David is gone, I can become king. Okay, so David then decrees that Mephibosheth's property now belongs to Ziba, okay, who is the servant of Mephibosheth. So that's the first person uh, that, that David comes across when he is fleeing Jerusalem. The second person that David comes across, we, we briefly saw last week, and this is this guy named Shimei. Okay, Shimei uh, is, is this guy from the the clan of Saul, he's a Benjamite, uh, and he, he curses David and his men, he throws stones at them because he believes that David wrongly took the kingdom away from Saul. Okay, he probably assumes that David is responsible for the, the death of Saul's other son, 
uh, ish bushes, even though he had been stabbed in the back by his own men and not by David. And so, if you remember from the start of 2 Samuel, David had previously sentenced a man to death for claiming to strike down Saul, who was the Lord's anointed. And so, to, to uh, do something against the Lord's anointed was something that David saw as a death penalty. He had already uh, set the precedent for it. And so that's part of the reason why Abishai, who is one of David's commanders, wants to go and cut Shimei's head off just for cursing David. Okay, because he cursed the Lord's anointed. But David stops his men from retaliating. He submits to the possibility that maybe God is using Shimei to curse David as part of his judgment. So that is what happened in chapter 16 as David was fleeing Absalom uh, away from Jerusalem. Now we fast forward to today's passage. The war has ended, Absalom has been killed, David has mourned and grieved and now he's pulled himself back together and he is now leading his people uh, back. He is returning back to Jerusalem. Uh, which is his uh, capital city. And he, on his journey, he meets the same two people. Okay? But this time, things are very different. First, David comes across Shimei. And Shimei is accompanied by a thousand men of his own clan, the tribe of Benjamin. And so this shows that Shimei is actually quite an influential person. Okay? And Ziba is with him too, for some reason. But Shimei comes to David, and basically he, he gets down on his knees and he begs for forgiveness. And what follows then is actually quite similar to what had happened the previous time in chapter 16. Again, Abishai, the same fellow, wants to kill Shimei. And again, David rebukes him and says, no. Uh, David's decision could be partly political to, to gain the support of the, the thousand Benjamites, but nevertheless, he extends mercy and forgiveness to Shimei. He promises he would not die that day. Now, you might be thinking what uh, I'm thinking. I am pretty sure that the only reason Shimei came to grovel and beg for David's forgiveness was because David was the winner of the war. Right, with Absalom. And I'm pretty sure if Absalom had won, it's very likely that Shimei would not have shown any remorse for how he had treated David. He would have uh, you know, taken advantage of, of the fact that he was not on David's side. But the reason why Shimei was shown mercy and forgiveness was not because of his reasons. It was not because of how he would have decided if things were different. The reason why Shimei is shown mercy and forgiveness is because David chooses to show mercy and forgiveness to him. It is not anything that Shimei did. Friends, we've been seeing in the past few weeks how God extended mercy and forgiveness to us, even though we did nothing to deserve it. We are reminded time and time again, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Today, I'd like us to think not just about the vertical aspect of God's forgiveness. I'd like us to think about the horizontal aspect of mercy and forgiveness 
among one another, among other people. That while we, were very, we, we, we very much need mercy and forgiveness from God, we also need it from one another. Yesterday, we concluded the marriage course. Uh, you saw some, some pictures just now. And seven married couples renewed their marriage vows with one another. And as they did that, they once again vowed to love and cherish one another for better and for worse, among other things. Uh, right? And the reason why these words, for better and for worse, are present in our wedding vows is because that's the reality of every marriage. That when you bring two imperfect human beings together, you throw them in the same house or the same room for years together, uh, there will be better moments for which we're very thankful for and we celebrate. But at the same time, there will be worse moments. And those are times when mercy and forgiveness are often needed. And just like Shimei, sometimes we feel that mercy and forgiveness is not deserved because they had counted you as their enemy at one point or they had cursed you or their motives for repentance aren't what we like. Uh, and, and even though we, we know we are called to forgiveness in Christ, uh, as Christians, we are called to forgive people. Even though we know that, we say, not yet. Uh, I, I don't think they deserve my forgiveness yet. They haven't apologized. Uh, they haven't uh, shown any remorse. They haven't changed their ways. But friends, none of us deserve forgiveness. And we never will deserve forgiveness. That is the nature of forgiveness. There are several Hebrew and Greek words used in the Bible for forgiveness. Okay? And they are a whole bunch of <laughs> uh, sounds thrown together. Okay? Kafa, naga, salach, afiami, karizome, and apoluo. Yeah. I, I won't look at each and every single one, but just to, to quickly summarize and tell you that the, the root of all these words, the various roots of these words, carry various meanings. And these meanings all mean something like covering something, uh, taking away something, uh, lifting up something, uh, cancelling a debt, removing an obligation by grace. Uh, setting someone loose from captivity. Now, notice how all these words are all actions that can be initiated by one party. It does not require another person to be saying or doing anything first. And so if forgiveness is not earned, that also means that there can't be a condition that prevents forgiveness. Now, if you're talking about repentance and remorse, then yes, how much remorse a person shows lets you know whether reconciliation is possible, uh, whether you can trust them again. But that is different from withholding forgiveness on your end. 
Reconciliation requires two parties to, to happen, uh, two hands to clap, right? You need both to come together in order to be reconciled. And it's something that we should try for uh, where possible because of love, because of peace, because of patience and kindness and all the things that we, we are called to as Christians. But forgiveness is first and foremost a one-way street, even before it is uh, responded to. Forgiveness is a one-way street. It is releasing any hatred, bitterness, anger, resentment towards another for what they have done or what they have not done, and not because they have earned it in any way. You might be forgive, uh, sorry. You might be familiar with Peter's question to Jesus. He, he asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And so when, when Peter asked this, he is being very, he's sort of like humble bragging. Lah, okay? Because the, the Jewish requirement was three times that you forgive your brother or sister who sins against you up to three times. After that, uh, it's no longer part of the, the law requirement. And Jesus tells him, not seven times, which you think is very generous and very, you know, typhoon, uh, but 77 times, or some translations, 70 times, seven times, which is 490 times. And so Jesus' response is basically unlimited. Don't stop forgiving even if they sin against you 77 or, or 490 times, uh, don't stop forgiving. Now, let me ask you, assuming that this is pretty much the, the same kind of sin, uh, would you say that the person who sins against you 76 times, not 77, uh, 76 times is remorseful or repentant? Do you think they could ever do anything to deserve mercy or forgiveness after sinning against you for the 76th time? No, right? And still Jesus says, forgive. But if forgiveness is like letting someone off the hook when they don't deserve it, that's not very fair, right? And this brings me to my second point, that... Justice belongs to the judge. Another person that David comes across on his return to Jerusalem is Mephibosheth himself, okay, Saul's grandson. Now, Mephibosheth was lame, uh, and that doesn't mean that he made bad jokes. Uh, it means that he could not walk on his own, okay? He was disabled. Uh, he, he had to be carried everywhere, uh, either by a person or by a donkey or something. Uh, there were no wheelchairs back then. He couldn't get around on his own. And so when he appeared to meet with David, he also had visible signs of his grief. He had not you know, trimmed his moustache. He had not uh, washed his clothes, whatever, uh, since David had left because he was so distressed that David was driven out of Jerusalem. And so... David sees him, he gives him an opportunity to explain himself. You know, why didn't you come along? And Mephibosheth uh, explains. 
And you remember how his servant Ziba had said Mephibosheth betrayed David and was hoping to become king? Well, apparently, he had left Mephibosheth without helping him onto a donkey. Okay, he had stranded him, basically, uh, this, this disabled person. He had just left, uh, and he had taken the, the donkeys and supplies himself, gone straight to David to take all the credit for helping him. And he lied about why Mephibosheth wasn't there. Now, as a victim of injustice, Mephibosheth doesn't ask David to execute Ziba for his deceit uh, or to you know, pass judgment, make things right. Uh, remember, the, the king is also the judge of the land and he decides how justice should be met. But Mephibosheth doesn't demand justice uh, in a certain way from David against Ziba. Look at what he says in verse 27. He says, do whatever you wish. Eh, he doesn't say, you must kill this fellow, you must return all your property to me, uh, you must make him uh, walk naked behind us. He says, do whatever you wish. This is in contrast with Abishai. Earlier we saw how he wanted to kill Shimei, despite uh, him asking for David's forgiveness. And so, look at how David responds to Abishai. He says, you, you asked me to, uh, that, that he should die, okay, for cursing the Lord's anointed. And David responds to Abishai. He says, what right do you have to interfere? Don't you know that today I am king over Israel? Uh, ultimately, David as king is the one with the authority to pass judgment on Shimei. Now, interestingly, the sentence, what right do you have to interfere? Uh, if you read it in the original Hebrew, it actually translates as, what have I to do with you, sons of Zeruiah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Okay, it says, uh, what have I to do with you that you should be adversaries to me today. And the Hebrew word for adversary that is used there is the same word where we get the word Satan. Okay, ha-satan. Uh, because of the opposition, the, the rebellion, the conflict that Satan persists in against God's sovereign will. That he stands for what is opposed, what what is an obstruction, what is an adversary to God's will. And so have you ever thought of it this way, that when we harbour unforgiveness against those whom God has not withheld forgiveness from, that even in the, in the name of justice, even in the name of fairness, we are being adversaries against God in this area? in this area of his forgiveness. That when we withhold forgiveness, we harbour unforgiveness, we are being adversaries against God in his forgiveness. The reason why Paul tells us not to take revenge is because that's taking justice into our own hands. And we know humans are horrible at that. Uh, the stories in, in the Bible about revenge never really bring about justice they uh, usually commit even greater injustices. Revenge doesn't bring justice. 
uh, at least most of the, the stories in the Bible. For example, if you remember, uh, Jacob had many sons, right? But he had a daughter, Dina. And Dina was raped by a guy named Shechem, okay? And when Dina's brothers found out that, uh, that she had been raped by Shechem, uh, Levi and Simeon, two of her brothers, responded by deceiving the men of, of uh, Shechem City into thinking that they were in a treaty uh, with, with uh, Jacob's sons. And so they said, okay, uh, you, you can marry Dina, uh, we made a treaty with you, we can intermarry and all that, but you must be circumcised first. Okay, so after they were circumcised and they are all like, you know, after you're circumcised, you can't do anything. Huh? Uh, you're, you're basically, you're, you're in great pain down there. Uh, and so, while they were recovering, Simeon and Levi went and slaughtered all of them. Slaughtered all the males and pillaged the whole city. Okay? And so, in their act of revenge to bring justice for what had been done to their sister, they committed an even greater injustice to all those people. And so when we try to take justice into our own hands, either in an act of revenge or by withholding forgiveness, in the spirit of unforgiveness, we often end up as adversaries against God's good justice. Let's look at our last point, that the forgiven forgive. Uh, if you can remember, when Shimei turned up, uh, Ziba was in his company. And so this means that it's quite likely that when Mephibosheth was there before David, talking to him, explaining things, Ziba was actually not too far away. Okay, part of, at least, part of David's convoy somewhere. Uh, we don't know whether Mephibosheth uh, spoke directly in front of Ziba, but when David restores half of Mephibosheth's property to him uh, to share the other half with Ziba, probably because, you know, he did help him with the supplies when he needed it. Uh, Mephibosheth says, let him take everything. Okay? So remember, all that, was, all that belonged to Mephibosheth was given to Ziba. Now David says, okay, you and Ziba divide. Okay, you share and Mephibosheth says, let him take everything. How is he able to say this when he was betrayed by his own trusted servant and had all his property given to him? Now the truth had come out, he still had to share with this traitor. How is he able to be so generous? Lah? I think the answer lies in verse 28 when Mephibosheth tells David, all my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from my lord the king, but you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table. So what right do I have to make any more appeals to the king? In those days, the sons of a king, uh, when another king came into power from a different lineage, those sons of the original king were usually killed so that uh, there won't be any rival claims to the throne. But instead of death, Mephibosheth was shown mercy by David, and he was provided for. And so I think 
Having experienced mercy from David, Mephibosheth was reminded that he too can also show mercy to Ziba. Now, there are many, many verses that talk about how we must forgive because God has forgiven us. The Lord's Prayer itself, as we prayed just now, uh, reminds us each time we pray that we ask God to forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. It is a package deal. We don't just ask God for forgiveness, full stop. As we forgive those who sin against us. And so to emphasize this, Jesus actually tells his disciples immediately after he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. So this is the verse immediately after the Lord's Prayer. Right? And so forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, NIV version. Uh, that's the, the ending of the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then Jesus continues, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you, uh, will not forgive your sins. Now, don't misunderstand this verse. It doesn't mean that forgiving others is a condition to being saved. Okay, because we are saved by faith through grace, we cannot earn anything, including uh, we cannot earn our salvation even if it is by forgiving others. You know, it's not about earning our salvation by forgiving others. Within the context of the passage, Jesus is saying that God forgives us far more than any human can ever need our forgiveness. That the amount of forgiveness that God gives us is far more than any forgiveness we would ever need to give others. And so if we receive His forgiveness, even though we sin so much against Him, then we would surely forgive others when they sin so much less. Uh, and if we don't forgive us, uh, sorry, if we don't forgive others, that shows, that is evidence that we are blind to how much we need God's forgiveness, how much we need to be forgiven by God. And so that's why Jesus says we don't receive forgiveness because we, don't, we didn't know that we needed it in the first place. We were blind to our need for God's immense forgiveness. So forgiving others is not a condition to salvation. It is evidence that we have received God's forgiveness. Just like how, you know, in, in the book of James, uh, the whole thing about faith and good works, right? That good works is not a condition, it is not a, a thing that you do to earn faith, but it is evidence of a Christian faith. And so coming back to Peter's question, how often should we sin? Uh, how often should we forgive those who sin against us? Let me frame it another way and ask another question. How many times has God forgiven us? Not just thinking about how many times we should be forgiving us. How many times has God forgiven us? 
speaking for myself, I'm pretty sure, pretty, pretty sure he has forgiven me many, many multiples of 490 times in my lifetime. And I am still considered quite young, I think, right? Far more than 490 times, don't know how many, okay? And so if God has forgiven me so frequently and for offences that caused His only Son to pay the death penalty for them, then what gives me the right to withhold forgiveness from someone else for a lesser offence compared to that? And so in conclusion, I'd like us to know that we are called to show the mercy and forgiveness God has shown us through Christ. We have received magnitudes more forgiveness from God than we will ever be able to show others. I'd like us to be a partner and not an adversary to God's desire to forgive those who need forgiveness. Would you have His heart for those who have hurt you. And do surrender judgment to the judge of heaven. We might not be able to forgive as perfectly as God forgives, but I want to challenge us today to take just one step closer, just one step closer to being free of the shackles of unforgiveness. Maybe it's a prayer to tell God that you want to forgive, but you don't know how. That you are hurting so much, you just don't know how, but God, I want to forgive. Maybe it's just that. Or maybe it's no longer entertaining thoughts that would reopen wounds. Or maybe it's even just admitting that you need to forgive someone. When you've been saying all this while, oh, no, 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 I forgive already, forgive actually, you, you have not. Whatever it is, would you take that one step closer towards being forgiven as you have forgiven others? Let me pray for us all. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that we are before you here today as a forgiven people. That it is not anything that we did to earn your forgiveness, but purely by your grace, your mercy. You extended it to us, even while we were undeserving. And so I thank you, Lord, that before you, all of us, are forgiven through Christ. And so, Lord, help us to know. Help us to know the depths of your mercy. Help us to know how, how much we have been forgiven. Help us to know that reality, that even as we interact with you and others, we will enter, interact with that knowledge of being forgiven people though we are unworthy, that we have still received your forgiveness. Would you also heal us for the wounds that have been caused by others, the wounds that we continue to inflict upon ourselves by harboring unforgiveness and compounding upon that other things that are destructive to our life. 
Lord, heal us where we need your healing. Would you also heal relationships that have been broken because of unforgiveness? Relationships that have been strained? Relationships that have been devoid of peace for so long? Lord, we ask that you bring your healing. Not because the other person deserves our forgiveness. Not because we are so generous and big-hearted but because we recognize that you have forgiven us so much more. And so we extend just a fraction of that forgiveness we've experienced. And not because anyone deserves any forgiveness, but purely because you enable us to forgive by the power of your Spirit, that when we are yielded to you, when we are surrendered to you, Lord, you make all things possible. Would you also transform us, especially when we don't feel like forgiving others, especially when we, we still want to nurse the wounds, hold the grudges. Fill us with your Spirit. Transform us, Lord. Turn our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Help us to be open to all that you want to do in our lives. Free us, Lord, from the bondage of unforgiveness. Free us from the continual conflict within us. May we experience and taste your shalom, your peace that passes all understanding, that passes all behavior, that passes all circumstances peace that we can have with one another because of the peace that we have with you. And Lord, where we do not struggle with unforgiveness, Lord, we want to thank you. We thank you for the good relationships that we have. Would you use us to be a channel of your grace and inspiration to others when we are quick to forgive? But Lord, keep us on our guard that we will not allow unforgiveness to take a foothold at any point. And so Lord, we ask all these things that by your mercy, Lord, you allow us, you allow us to be like you. To be holy as you are holy, to forgive as you have forgiven us. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.